As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Boy, Pierre. Pedro Porro protects it. Saar. It's a lovely switch of the play from Saar. Good play from Spurs again. Johnson heads it on first time to Madison. Still Madison into Johnson. Son 2-0. Beautifully crafted. Patient and piercing. Spurs 2 to the good. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. I love saying this, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. When does that award run out? Or is it something like a knighthood that you keep in perpetuity? Uh, joining me, host Danny Kelly, are the Athletic's James Moore and Tim Spears. Hello everybody. Uh, on today's episode, a win over Crystal Palace at Sellers Park and maybe more trumpet chat. I think there are also sousaphones involved in what we're going to talk about. Tim uh, you were at Sellers on Friday night and you wrote this tweet at half time. Um, you said, really, really boring. By the way, I don't disagree with you. Uh, put Gardner's World on at half time to raise the excitement levels. Wow, the Spears going in, studs up on the mighty Spurs. Uh, what's changed in the second half, if anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was awful in that first half. The, the, the only thing I can remember, even sort of 72 hours later, is, is Papsar falling over when he tried to put that cross in. That was basically the most memorable thing that happened. The ball bubbled up, the ball bubbled up then, by the way. Did it? I've not, I didn't see a replay. Sadly, it wasn't the, the classic amateur footballers where you slightly touch it with your standing foot first. It looked exactly like that, but it was actually, it was sat up on the pitch in, in comic fashion. Yeah. Well, I mean, t- Tim, what did change? Well, I mean, well, they got a bit lucky, Danny. To be honest, I mean, the, yes, they. Oh um, dear, oh dear. The uh, the intensity levels uh, moved up a slight notch, but really, I mean, you, if you look at that goal, I mean, Papsar's pass to James Madison was didn't even go where he intended it to. It deflected to Madison, and then Madison's cross uh, deflected into goal. And you know, thereafter, once they're in the lead, Spurs improved because Palace had to come out. But I, I mean, you've got to say. Full credit to Crystal Palace. I thought they did an absolute number on Spurs in the first half. Absolutely not, Tim. I hate James. I disagree one hundred percent. I hated yeah. what Crystal Palace did in that first half. Don't don't come on here and be negative. Palace are a defensive team. That's fine. That's Roy Hodgson's way. But they had nineteen fouls in the game. Only two of which received yellow cards in the last seconds when they decided to do a bit of bad tempered clogging. Right. The rest of them were tactical fouls. I don't know why the referee put up with it. 
I hate the way that it is 500th game in charge, Roy Hodgson. I'm glad he got rained on. <laughs> I know he's an old geezer and all the rest of it. I'm really glad he, and I, and I hope his book got wet as well. Whatever novel he's got in his pocket, Cervantes or something. I, I'm, I, I hated the way they set up. We saw at Chelsea, Brentford set up to be even more defensive. 7,000 the whole game. They defended properly and, and didn't resort to that kind of, Tactical fouling, I, I always, I absolutely hate. It. I don't like it when Spurs do it. We used to do it a lot under Pochettino, and I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. So no, no credits, Crystal Palace. Horrible Palace. Do better, Palace. I mean, it wasn't, um, it wasn't enjoyable. It was made for a horrible game of football. It did. If I was, if I was a Palace fan, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be watching that. I didn't think we get into this bit quite so quickly, but at that in the last kind of half hour, not even right at the end of the game, that bit where. I think it was the 1-0, maybe 2-0, where Vicario and Romero were just knocking the ball back and forth for ages, literally for like for like two minutes. And the Palace were not were putting no pressure on at all. Just weren't pressing. It was obviously obviously a tactical thing, yeah. Keep the shape, don't get sucked in, don't leave a space in behind, we'll be compact, don't let them play through. And and it's like running we're winning the game, it's just running down the clock. And their fans are getting really aggy. And I've seen like some Palace fans be aggy with their own team for for not pressing in the year 2023 and others kind of being annoyed that Spurs were like running down the clock and not trying to play. I mean, what, what do you expect to happen if you're just going to sit there in shape, in position, at 1-0 down in a Premier League game? I mean, I saw a stat that Romero made almost 200 passes in the game. It was 141. When like Jabi, when Jabi Alonso was doing that in the league, like... 15 years ago, everyone was absolutely pissing themselves. <laughs> so it's the most passes a Spurs player has ever played in a Premier League match since records began. And yeah, there is there is uh, dozens and dozens of lines between him and uh, the, the Spurs penalty area where he's playing it back. It was in fact an email from listener Brad, who on the last 10 minutes, and Brad really, it was 20, wasn't it, listen it, uh, at Selhurst, uh, asked whether... We that wasn't very Ange ball, he said. Uh, and you know, we saw Arsenal racking up a, a, a nap hand, as they used to say, against Sheffield United. And it may be that goal, goals difference and goals scored are going to be important at the end of the season. I didn't, I didn't really like this, but you know, I hear about game management again, James. I don't, I didn't like it that they, they, I mean, encouraged by Palace's passivity. You try saying that on a Monday morning, encouraged by Palace's passivity. Um, we became equally inert, I thought. Yeah, I have to say, I did, I did find that frustrating in the moment, just purely because it's just not great to watch. And I think Spurs should have the quality to uh, to kind of play through Palace's midfield, really. Just going back to those Romero passes, I've, I've got it up now. Right, 35 of them were to Van de Ven, 28 of them were to Vicario, and 24 were to Porro. Then da, 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 17 to Saar. 15 to Basuma, 9 to Hoiberg, 5 to Kulisevsky, 3 to Davis. I'm down to I'm down to the, the single passes now. 1 to Son, 1 to Johnson, 1 to Emerson Royale, 1 to Richarlison and 1 to Madison. There you go. But shout out, but shout out the stats line app anyway for that. The stats are quite incredible depending on how you read them. Um, Spurs, of course, have taken 26 out of a possible 30 points in the Premier League. They kept that up, by the way. They get 98.8 points before the end of the season. Yeah. Suck on that, Manchester City. 26 of 30 under Ange, the most by a manager through his first 10 games in the competition. Have you seen who else is on that list, though? It's a horrific list. It, is Nuno on it? Uh, Nuno's not on it. It's uh, it's the likes of Mike Walker. Yeah, Mike Walker's number, he's number two, yeah. Unai Emery at Arsenal, John Gregory at Villa. Sherwood's on there, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't take too much notice of it. As I say, I, I doubt Spurs are going to run up 98.8 points. Um, and people will point out that they have played seven of the 10 games been against teams who are in the bottom half of the table. Although their record against those teams is much improved from their record against those teams last season. I would also make the, uh, the point that they played six of their 10 games away from home. And that must count for something as well. Son has scored eight goals in 10 Premier League games so far. Um, only in 2021 when he got nine, as he netted more in the opening 10 league games. So he's um, doing very well. And you're right, Tim. Um, the, the first Spurs goal uh, had a degree of fortune about it. But let, let's, um, let the sun shine while it may. What about the second goal? What a move. It was sort of classic Spurs 23-24. I think Saar played the ball over the top to Madison. Um, I thought he had one of his better games of the season, actually, Saar. He was, he was very good. Sort of game that suited him. And then, um, yeah, Brennan Johnson um, heavily involved with teeing it up for Son. And it was Johnson's sort of cameo was a real interesting part of the game, actually, because um, bless him, Richarlison uh, didn't have the best of games. And I thought it was, it, I'm, I'm just not sure that Richarlison would have done that. And he doesn't seem to be quite on the same wavelength as those around him uh, in the final third of the pitch at the moment. So yeah, I think Johnson's definitely pushing for a starting place. Uh, it was a gorgeous goal, lovely finish. James, this is where you've got to start um holding the edge of the desk and, and with excitement because uh, according to the stats, no team has earned this many wins, eight in their opening 10 matches of a 20-team Premier League season and finished lower than fourth. Um, I don't I don't take these these things very seriously, but sooner or later, eventually, these their collection of coincidences become science, don't they? Yeah, I mean, look, what I would say about that stat is to a to a pessimistic Spurs fan, that's that's the last thing you want to hear. You want to hear if it happens all the time, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, the just look, it's incredibly stark it, looking at the start of the season. There's this website called I think it's My Footy Facts, maybe. Apologies if I've got that wrong, and it has every Spurs Premier League season like game by game. That's a big like chart of every season. And then obviously it's green for a win, yellow for a draw, red for a defeat. So you can kind of see very quickly, visually, like how well Spurs have done season by season. And just to see all of that green in that column that far into the season, it is it is mad. I, I, you know, it's funny, this season being what it is, you know, Arsenal have started well, City obviously started well. Liverpool have started They're well. They're great teams. So it doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't feel, for for all we've been really excited by how well Spurs have done, you know, in another season, they'd be like eight, nine points clear now. It, but that's that's the truth of it. In in other seasons, you could probably go back through and find a season where they would be that far ahead at this point, those points. Um, Yeah, and that is the reality of what comes in the next 28 games is that those three teams you mentioned, you know, and Villa look a very good team as well, are going to drop relatively few points. But I do think the flip is that everyone below that now, I think there's a five-point gap between Villa and Newcastle in sixth. And Spurs are four points ahead of Villa, so there's a big gap between Spurs and Newcastle now. Yeah, I, th- I think I think, I think, think just, just to, if we're doing the, you know 98.8 points, which I worked out the other day using a calculator, the, I think it's going to, the top four are going to get a lot of points this season. The Champions League is going to be, you know, North of 80 points, I suspect, because the teams at the bottom are so poor this year. 
um, that they're going to be hoovering up vast. Now, there appears to me to be two leagues. Chelsea are kind of in the middle of the two leagues. Teams who are not great, um, maybe maybe even Wolves are in that. I don't know, Tim. And the really good teams at the top of the Premier League this year, I think there's going to be a lot of points having to be to be gained. So it's good that they've made a good start. I think it was split to three, actually. I think they could be those top five now, maybe. The middle sort of... 11 and then there'll be a bottom five, I think. Four or five at the bottom. But in ter- I think in terms of projections, yeah, we can talk about points and wins, but uh, an important one for me will be sort of goal difference so far. They're not just squeaking through games 1-0. And if, if, if again, if we're going to project, then they're on, they would currently score 83 goals this season and concede 35. So uh, yes, the fixtures, whatever have been kind and the next, the next sort of four or five games will tell us a lot more about this team. But, but that, that's what would bode. More, better, more for me than the points is the fact that they are scoring two a game every single match except for Luton. Just another, just another thing on this season that we kind of mentioned over the summer, and this is with top four slash five in mind rather than uh, rather than the title. Before we, you know, go into that, um, this weekend is maybe quite a good example of the benefit of not playing midweek. And I know Spurs played Monday Friday, but if you look at Newcastle. We're winning a game and then we're pegged back twice. Brighton were winning a game and then pegged back. Those were the two teams I think we thought. West Ham lost after playing in Europe. Exactly, right? I mean, I, I think Pep Guardiola talked about it last week, didn't he? He said Spurs would be in the race purely on the basis of uh, not playing midweek games every week. And you can see, you know, if you if you had chucked, what are we now? I think three matches into European competitions, group stages. So if Spurs have played, say, three Europa League or Conference League group stage matches. I don't think it's impossible to see, given Spurs have kind of not necessarily been emphatic in every league game and kind of felt their way into it quite often. They would have dropped maybe kind of six or seven points more. There is a, the only downside I can see, and you went straight for it, Tim, I think, um, and it was me rather than the producer because I'm not looking for downsides, but it does did strike me watching the game that sooner or later we're going to have to confront the elephant in the room, and that is Richarlison. We're now a year and 10 games into his time at Spurs. We know he's had personal problems. There's a World Cup. It was a weird season last year. But he is just not playing at a standard that you would expect a player in the top half of the Premier League to do. And the question I posed when I was asking our producer if we could talk about this was, if he hadn't cost £60 million from Everton, if he cost £15 million from Lille, would we now all be saying, James, this boy's touch isn't good enough. His passing isn't good enough. And all the rest of it. It, it, it strikes me he's getting a very, very clear run at this, partially because we know now that he's had some personal problems, but partially because we sp- spent a lot of money on him. I don't know about that. I mean, I think he's, I think he's come under quite a lot of scrutiny. I, I wouldn't say he's kind of missed out on criticism or, you know, kind of thorough analysis. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see him start on Friday night, to be honest. And it was, it felt like that kind of classic thing of a player now aware that they're out of form uh, and playing in a way that meant he's kind of grasping at moments and things were really not coming off. There were one or two, you know, there was like an exchange of passes with Madison in the first half where he pulled that shot wide quite badly. That header back to Madison in the penalty area in the first half I thought you know that, that was that was another good little moment of ingenuity where but yeah I, I'd say those moments are few and far between and you'd be being quite generous if you were kind of plucking those out and saying this is what he did on the day it does seem fairly obvious that Brennan Johnson is in a, be- a better moment for want of a less footwally wanky phrase uh, at the moment and 
would probably be better suited to playing in that team. I mean, there are definitely things Richardson does. You know, you mentioned that physicality, but like if we're not putting crosses into the box, which Spurs very rarely do now, you know, without players like Perisic available to play, uh, he is adding a lot less. And there is the stuff off the ball. The pressing was kind of directly or indirectly linked to both of the goals against Fulham last week. So, you know, I- I'm sure Ange Postacoglu would cite that if asked that question. Uh, and and uh, uh, he would be entitled. His work rate is, you know, exemplary. He's entitled to say that in, in response to me and you know, criticising him. He is a, you know, a 50, 60 million pound player, as you say, playing in the front three of a team who are, if not title challenges, you know, supposedly competing for the top four. And in that instance, you need to be getting goals and assists. And he has what, one Premier League goal. How many assists? One or two? I would say the numbers probably aren't quite good enough. And again, you know, we factor in the things that we talked about before, about his issues away from the pitch and, you know, had to be sympathetic to that, fine. But that doesn't mean he should automatically play in a team. No, no, not, you can you have, can be sympathetic at a human level, but not at the expense of the football team. You know, they're, they're two separate things. But he has, the physical things he has that he's still been able to, like, exert on a game, the pressing and the kind of physicality in a penalty area, would both be really good off the bench, like, later in games particularly if Spurs are like chasing a goal. So, you know, I can see the benefit of him being used as kind of an impact sub or like a, you know, a kind of game management option uh, for the next few weeks. I mean, I, I think I said this at the time after Sheffield United, you know, there was this expectation that he scored a goal and suddenly that was going to solve all his problems. And it's, it's like, that's not how football or life works in reality. It's not, it's not a movie, right? I mean, if you've been in a, in a run of good form and you, then you have a couple of games off, then you score and then that's how it works then. But if you've been out of form for months, um, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. thing is, Tim, I don't, because, you know, with the best will in the world, we don't know how Brennan Johnson is going to get on in a Spurs shirt. You know, it's obvious we're going to replace Richarlison's work rate, his power in the air, and clearly the fact that the teammates all like him with Brennan Johnson would be less powerful, but much quicker, for instance. Um, maybe we could add a bit of pace to the front of that team. Kulusevsky is powerful without being quick. Um, and, you know, if I'm being honest, Son makes the same mistakes a lot as Rosarison losing the ball, a touch that, you know, facing his own goal, his touch often goes four feet away from him. But, of course, he's on the end of all the moves and scores. And, and that, that. So how far how far away are we, do you think, Tim, from... from Ange Postecoglou is saying, right, Brandon, here you go. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a the, there's a big game next up in Chelsea at home, but I don't think Postecoglou would have any sort of reservations in throwing Johnson in. I mean, he's, you know, Spurs' most expensive summer signing, for God's sake. He's got plenty of, he's not nowhere near as experienced as Richarlison, but he's got a decent level of experience. Um, I mean, James makes some really good points there. I think in terms of the narrative, I mean, you know, when the guy was crying on the bench, then everybody sort of took a step back and in terms of, you know, criticising him for sure. and. Also, Spurs are winning every week, right? And Son is scoring every week. So there's there's less need to moan about someone who isn't scoring. Um but yeah, he he does he just looks like the odd man out. Okay, his stats his stats might not be horrendous, but he he when you're watching Spurs playing with this this confidence and this swagger and this movement and these delicate touches, you know, he's not really involved in that as much as the others. He doesn't pass the eye test. I mean it's it's the worst spell of his career by distance in terms of the past sort of, what, nine, ten months since the World Cup. But you would imagine on the flip side that Postacoglu would be the kind of man who would be able to get the best out of him, I think. At the moment, he thinks the best way to do that is by starting him every week. Personally, I think it's probably better for the team and I think better for Richarlison, as James has alluded to, that he's that he comes off the bench. And I think Son is not 
really finishing any games at the moment. And to have Richarlison come on in that central role, which I think is better for him in this Spurs team uh, for the last 15, 20 minutes, then maybe that'll be better for for all concerned to give Johnson a go. Because And Johnson has also done well in... Every time we've seen Johnson, he's done something of note. And I think he's he's earned his his start now. Yeah, I mean, we are in a luxury position here, aren't we? Talking about which which of the players that are currently top of the league we could probably improve upon from the bench. Yeah, but it is interesting, you know, with Bentancourt coming back the other day, obviously, uh, which was fantastic news, that you can actually st- still see improvements coming in this team. And I think if you look at Kulisevsky's lack of end product as well, and this infuriating hesitancy to shoot, and you look at Richarlison just yeah not being able to shoot on the other side, and then you look at the 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 class that Bentancourt can bring to that midfield you can see okay that might not be a ridiculously better team with a couple of changes but certainly um, different styles of play that can be brought into this 11 interesting I'm glad you mentioned uh, Ben Tenkert it was a great moment wasn't oh it? it was beautiful and afterwards the fans giving him you know I think he had one touch didn't he but afterwards the fans giving him um, a rapturous uh, welcome that was all all very lovely interesting though that um, Spurs are top of the table and there's been a kind of background feeling that the squad isn't deep enough. I think I'm right in saying now, with the arrival uh, of the, off the bench at uh, Sellers Park of, of Benton Kerr and Brian Hill, that every Spurs player who's registered in the 25 has now actually played in the Premier League, with the exception of Dyer and the two goalkeepers. So they've used, I think, 22 players so far this season. So, you know... I, I still have my doubts about whether they, you know, they've got enough game changers on the bench. But equally, um, the way Postacoglu is using the squad is is not costing the team. Yeah, he does seem happy to spread the minutes about. And I do think as we get into what will be a more congested part of the season, relatively speaking, obviously we talked about mid, lack of midweek games before, but over Christmas there will be some. We know those players will have to play more minutes than they have done up to now. And for them to feel like they're part of the group, like they're not kind of, necessarily entirely second choice uh, I think psychologically that will make quite a big difference when we go in you know there'll be a game where we saw with Hoiberg against Fulham but you know there'll be a game where someone like Hill starts or LaCelso or whoever and I think it is important that they feel like they're not kind of a second class citizen when that happens like, like, like they're not like you know the player that no one's going to pass to or, or whatever else I mean Hoiberg's Hoiberg's made 10 appearances this season Skip's made 7 Emerson Royale's played eight times. You know, there's, 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 there's a lot of minutes there that are banking up. None of them would be in the first 11, but they're all playing pretty regularly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. James Moore is here and Tim Spears and me, Danny Kelly. Still all of us are slightly pumped up by the fact that Spurs are top of the table. And of course, there was a time Friday evening where they were five points clear and lots of people were making the point. Spurs had not been five points clear in the top layer of English football since, James, 1961 when they went on to win an infamous double. All great, just wonderful. Um, I was, of course, three or four years of age when all that happened. My dad used to tell me how Tottenham's team had captured the imagination of the nation, that the, everybody was talking about this team that couldn't be defeated and all the rest of it. Um, it's all good, except for one thing. Now, look, we, we're past the age where people make football records. The players are too important now um, for them to go in, into the studio and appear on top of the pops making their record. But as far as I can do with my research, the idea of making records about football teams or by football teams comes back to that team in 1961. People, as I say, uh, they had become the talking point of the nation. Nothing to do with Tottenham Hotspur Club, but a group of um, studio musicians got together and decided they would make a record um, praising the double season of Spurs. They were called the Tottenhamites, which is a word you don't hear very, very often. The record, I think, sets off the whole craze of football records, um, and it is absolutely bizarrely mad um, because it's a big band. Listen to this. This is the Spurs song, otherwise known as Tip Top Tottenham. I knew I had a copy somewhere in the house. This is Nick because it's too scratchy. And this is this is their, this is their song about Spurs. Tip Top Tottenham Hotspurs The greatest team of the year Tip Top Tottenham Hotspurs Raise your glasses and give them a cheer the record is just that the names of the team read out and some part of their what they've done and how brilliant they are so now we now know what we'll be coming out to at the live event next week tip top Tottenham Hotspur is it going to catch on James I sound very festive, that. Well, it, it was it was kind of meant to be a knees-up, isn't it, in his own way? 
Yeah, but presumably that was uh, that was out over the summer in 1961, right after the cup final, presumably. Yeah, that's quite nice. I mean, I don't know; it's necessarily rousing enough for sort of uh, in stadium pre-match. The, the B side, which I'm not going to afflict you with, is of course because of the connection with Danny Blanchflower, is a version of Danny Boy, um, rather mournful, uh, of course. Now, I love to tip top Tottenham Hospital there, and I'm going to try and get our producer to work some of it into the actual theme music for the view from the lane. You having that, Tim? It was clearly in vogue that summer, because when you started playing that, I immediately assumed it was a rip-off of the, the Top Cat theme tune. It does, it does have some, um, so, yeah, the kind of big band, blaring big band, which you have to have right up to Danny Elfman's theme for The Simpsons. If you're going to make a comedy classic, you've got to have a blaring big band theme, yeah. <laughs> and that's why Spurs have got this. Obviously, use of the word top as well makes it sound familiar. But anyway, the the the, the Top Cat show uh, started in September 61. So I don't know what came first, but it, but it was obviously in, in vogue that year anyway. This is going to continue the musical theme slightly. I know, James, that uh, you probably don't want to hear any more about the trumpeter, um, but we have had an email from Toby Davis. Very jaunty. Hi, v- VFTL gang. Um, avid listeners of the pod and Spurs lifer here. Uh, in your most recent post-Fulham episode, my ears pricked up when you started talking about the now legendary trumpeter and how we should be playing closer to kickoff. Well, said trumpeter is a friend of mine and fellow musician Adam Chatty Chatterton, he's called. Um, I just wanted to write in to big him up as he's an absolute legend, a beast of a player and a member of the incredible Riot Jazz Brass Band. Check them out when you get a chance. Thank you very much. He says, cheers, Toby Davis. Um, Okay, as a public service, we're going to play 15 seconds of. I've checked out their stuff on YouTube. This is a. This is the the, the riot. Let me get it right. The uh, riot jazz brass band and their cover of um, Britney Spears "Toxic." There you go. Um, trumpeters, sousaphone players, trombone players, and all the rest of it. This is interesting. Adam Perry, thinking about now and for the future importance of the team, who has been the most important signing? Madison, Van der Ven, or Vicario? Then he does add good luck with that. Well, it's an, in- it's an interesting question because he says, thinking about now and for future importance. And I don't know, what, how's Vicario? 27? And if he continues the way he is, you know, to have a to have a goalkeeper potentially for the next sort of five years, who who's an excellent shot stopper and can play it from the back and pretty much does everything you want, and a real good character, for the money they paid for him, as well. I don't know. That's tough though. You can make an argument for it for any three of them. Madison for now because he forced the team to go forward. You can't play defensively with Madison in your football team. He gives the ball away not recklessly, but trying to do creative things. They. Ha- I said, I said when we bought him, this would change the aspect of how Spurs play, for better or worse. Um, without Kane, I was worried that they wouldn't be able to convert the, the chances in, that he might create. Um, Van de Ven, you know, that's a, a spot that since Spatongan went, Spurs just had no kind of consistency at. That's great. Um, and you're right about Vicario. I spoke last night to Daniele Fisichella, the Italian football journalist, about him and the chances of him replacing the apparently irreplaceable Donnarumma in the Italian team. Um, and he says that his cap is coming soon, um, but that he was on the radar of all the big Italian clubs uh, during the summer. 
and they were all a bit shocked when Spurs swooped in and got him. They, they were hesitating because two of them had goalkeepers that they thought were very good and it would just upset the apple cart to bring a, an even better one. The rest of them thought that he would be commanding uh, you know, transfer fee and wages that Italian clubs at the moment just, you know, they, they swap players between club and club. They just can't afford to be buying them. And he said, you know, Spurs have definitely benefited from that because in his mind, um, in one way, he was the most important player in Italy last two years because he kept our team up on his own in the, in the form of Empoli. Um, so, yeah, they're all, look, the answer, Adam, is they're all really important now and in the future. No, they are, but any, anyone anyone can go out and buy a, a skillful uh, attacker or creative player, but it's it's defences that w- that win you titles and trophies, right? So in the long term, Van der Ven lets them play the way they want to play in attacking sense, doesn't he? Because he has the recovery pace to let them push like 10, 15, 20 yards up the pitch. I mean, there's an article on the Athletic last season about Saliba at Arsenal and how Arsenal felt he let them. I think uh, there was a specific number of yards. I think it was ten. But the idea was because this guy could run, he let them play like 10 yards further up the pitch. Uh, and that was like a kind of definitive thing that they'd kind of calculated. So uh, you can see with someone like Van der Ven, like the fact that he can get back to, you know, what, there was one in the first half on Friday night where Will Hughes is for on goal. And it was just completely comical. The idea of this guy thought, <laughs> he basically kind of gave up because he knew he wasn't gonna get, even going to get to the edge of the box. But yeah, so I think in a defensive sense, obviously he's very good. Like, you know, I think we were saying last week, he doesn't need to go to ground. He wins the ball. He gobbles the ball up in those kind of circumstances. He just like basically just runs past him and the ball is gone. His, you know, his distribution is good. He plays the ball out well from the back. And yeah, like that pace lets him just play that much further up the pitch. And that just gives him the opportunity to, you know, to, to dominate the game in midfield a bit more. I mean, that that, that you've mentioned, there, that's, so that's two of the newcomers into the team who have transformed the way the team can play, and in the case of James Madison, must play. They've gone from a defensive team to an attacking team because that's what Madison forces you to do. And then Van de Ven has added to that the fact that they can play a team that for the last three years has played on the edge of its own penalty area, um, can now play 20 yards further forward without the, the general fear. I mean, obviously, when you get up against the likes of Haaland, who uh, eats the ground underneath him as well, we'll see how that goes. But for now... That's fine. I just wish in the last 20 minutes of the game that that 20 yards of extra space Spurs have wasn't used for just passing the ball back and forth to the goalkeeper. Um, this is um, uh, Koi, oh, Koi's Koi's, he's called. Again, this is a tweet. Prime Poch 11 versus our current starting 11. Who wins? I don't know. It's kind of difficult to say because they're, they're two very different kind of sample sizes, aren't they? It's kind of quite difficult to say over 10 games or 11 games, including the League Cup. To help Tim with this, of course it'd be Pochettino's team. Um, there were that, essentially, I think when they were in the World Cup in the middle of all that in Russia, did they have five or six in the England squad? Four or five of whom were starting. Yeah, they had like nine in the semi, like out there to the last weekend in like the semi-finals. You have Deli Ali still in, in in great form, and Harry Kane and Son Hun Ming, and of course, absolutely critically, you have a prime Larice, a prime Alderweireld, and a prime Vertonghen. Now, of course, our centre backs doing great at the moment, but this was a team that was absolutely settled um, in its quality. And so, my answer, Koi's Koi's, is that at the moment, I, if you played five games, they would they would probably only lose one of them, uh, the Poch eleven. That team, you'd say, definitively had like one of the best kind of two or three players in every position in the Premier League. Go on. 
like well, Larissa is one of the best two or three keepers. Wilker is one of the best two or three right backs. Rose is one of the best two or three left backs. Alderweireld and the Tongan were two of the best five or six centre backs. Dembele, Wanyama, yeah, uh, Eriksen, Son, Dele, yeah. Kane. I mean, yeah. they're all you know they're in their respective positions. The players we have now: Poro potentially, Udogi potentially, Romero potentially, Van der Ven potentially, Vicario potentially, maybe actually already is. And again, the rest. So it's kind of potentially. I mean, and it's just a case of when that potential becomes like definitive. Higher ceiling, I'd say. Higher ceiling on this team on that basis. Let's uh, let's end then with a question again from Twitter from Joe Mack, who says, "Now this is a, obviously um, bringing us all up to date here. In celebration of the bizarre boxing this weekend, farcical, of course. Um, select your top five hardest managers in the Premier League." He says. Surely Big Ange is up there. I think five's a stretch, but I mean, obviously, for years and years and years and years, Tim, we didn't have to worry about this because Mark Hughes was managing in the Premier League will clearly be the best fighter. Um, now I think it's not so clear-cut. Klopp is huge. Surely he would be a problem, wouldn't yeah, he? Klopp, yeah, Dice, Dice would probably be... God, there's a lot of these. I, don't, I wouldn't rate a lot of these. I'll go through these. Arteta, I'm not having. Emery, I'm not having. Iriola. Don't know enough about him, but I've not seen anything to suggest, you know, he'd be no. handy. Thomas Frank. Mm. Wiry. No. Wiry, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Deserby, yeah. De definitely. Heckenbottom, if he's still in charge when this podcast goes out, uh, no. Hey, what about, um, who's that bloke in a hoodie at Chelsea? Sorry? Yeah, oh, no. The bloke, the bloke who wears a hoodie at Chelsea. No, 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 Okay, so we're saying sort of Deserby, Moyes, Moyes, Dice, Klopp, and I'm saying Ange. I think he might be a lover, not a fighter. At the back of yeah, it all, he probably is, isn't he? He'd be like above it. Who'd be like? He'd be like watching them with scrap and just like. Yeah, he would give them some Zen reason why they shouldn't be inflicting violence on one another. And he told them he told them they could fight if they wanted to, but he wasn't interested, mate. And so we've gone on this podcast from an old man getting rained on in South London. We have celebrated once again and even picked at slightly a team that has made a brilliant start to the season. We're back on Thursday where we'll see what else has happened in the world of trumpetry and we'll be previewing what is, let's, let's be honest, just as Spurs are Crystal Palace's bogey team, Chelsea are Spurs' bogey team. And we'll be previewing that on Thursday. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, James. Thank you all for listening and bless you all now. The Athletic.